happy Friday the 13th. Happy Friday the 13th. Oh, it's my favorite day. I don't like it. You don't like it? Wait, wait Brought to you by Arlo, who doesn't like anything yep. today. Today's episode is presented by State Bags. State Bags makes beautiful, well-made, inclusively cool products while using the power of business to give back to shift the narrative around social injustice. For every State Bag purchased, State hand delivers a backpack packed with essential tools for success to an American child in need. But their commitment goes beyond simply a material donation. State Bags has your back. And part of that commitment is making a difference in local kids' lives. To get you ready for your commute or wherever you are traveling next, State is offering our listeners 15% off their next purchase at statebags.com using the code POD. That's 15% off your next purchase using the code POD, P-O-D, at statebags.com. State Bags, they have your back. Mama. Welcome back, Babylonians. I'm not. I'm drinking some juice. Would you like some? No. Um, no? Okay, where cool. Did you, Arlo? Where did we put what? My ease. Uh, it's right there in front of your microphone. Okay, that's my life. Thank you. <laughs> welcome back, Babylonia. Oh, welcome to. No, we don't have any more chocolate milk. I had mine. Okay, great. Oh, Lincoln out. Okay. Do you want my phone? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Bye. Okay, we gotta do the podcast now, Boog. Can we record? That was, I'm going to fart. Yes. That was, he's, that's, he's just had a nasty attitude all day, guys. It's been, Friday the 13th has not been Arlo's friend. No. But we've been on it's adventures. It's feminine energy, so feminine. He's, not, he's not okay with it. Feminine energy. Feminine energy. That'll be on a t-shirt. Not a sugar bowl. <laughs> oh my god there was a meme and it's freaking morticia adams and my friend Brittany. shout out to you girl yeah, yeah. she's like you gotta say that and it says when a man says you ain't ready for this first of all sugar balls i snatch souls <laughs> and the fact that this story so this is kind of um we don't usually you know record on fridays so this surprise i said something was coming today and it's Friday the 13th. It's my favorite time of year. It's also my parents' wedding anniversary. Boom, been... And Tony and Brennan's. Yes. And all the anniversaries today. I know several people's birthdays today. It's been, it's just a crazy good day. Yes. And, um, but, oh, before we get started, uh, we did add two more international listener Hello. countries. Wales. Hey. Not the fish. The country. Oh, my God. Fuck, it's not a fish. It's a <laughs> not... whale fish. Oh, sorry if I offended any whales that listen to this. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> a whale, the country, and their numbers are going up. Like Thank I'm like, you. hello, Welsh humans. That's Mama. amazing. And then we added, Mommy. stop, the Republic of Lithuania. Hey. Hello. I don't know how to say hi there, so hello. <laughs> Apparently you know what I'm saying because you're listening. What? did you hit yourself in the head with a box? Okay, here, go watch a movie. I'll give you candy. Okay? You can have some. 
You know how to get it. Your, cha it. your chair's already set up and ready to go. Come here. Woo! Boom. That was very dramatic. So this is, yeah, willy-nilly. I wanted to do something intense and, and scary and gross, and I ended up finding something upon this story that I didn't even know. Um, so my notes aren't exactly super organized, but we're going to just wing it. So I'm going to tell you about Robert Andrew Bardella Jr. Huh? You can't reach it? Oh, man. Okay. All right. You got it? No, you need help? You got it. You got it. Okay, so Robert Andrew Bernella Jr. was born January 31st, 1949 in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Did I look that up to say it right? Three times. There you go. Twice yesterday and once. I even wrote down beside me so I would say it right. Cuyahogans. Cuyahogans and Ohioans. Then take it, baby. There you go. Um, he was the first of two sons to Robert Berdella Sr., who is a die setter for the Ford Motor Company. What's a die setter? I'm going to hover. It's a specialized tool in manufacturing industries to cut or shape, mostly using a press. Like molds, dies are generally customized to the item they are used to create. Hmm. Fancy. Seems like a really important job. And then his mom's <laughs> name was Mary. <laughs> <laughs> And she was a homemaker. Okay. Nothing, anything stressful. Um, Fuck his... off. <laughs> that was a jab at me, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even meaning that. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't do any good raising, considering this is on a true crime podcast. Um, <laughs> his father was a uh, was a Catholic of Italian descent, so Catholic Italian, <laughs> and raised his family in a deeply religious household in which the family regularly attended mass, and both sons um, attended rigid. Rigilus. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. Religious education courses. I'm not religious. I'm rigilus. I'm rigilus. <laughs> this guy is ridiculous. Wow. So as a child, he was intelligent, but he was a loner who rarely played outside his home. Seldom had friends visit to socialize. Let me make sure I'm recording. So that'd be really upsetting. Yes, I am. Yes, baby. Play with what? Okay. Go for it. I don't know what I was talking about. Um, anyways, he had a speech impediment and wore really thick glasses from the age of five because he was very severely nearsighted. Same. <laughs> My glasses are quite thick as well. Yeah. I wear contacts mostly, though. So he was diagnosed with high blood pressure, and he had to take several meds for that. He was largely unathletic. Why is this guy me? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Whereas his younger brother, Daniel, who was seven years younger than him, displayed an aptitude for various sports at an early age. Literally, well, that'd be Vince. He's my older brother. He was more athletically inclined than I was. I mean, I was okay at tennis, but I fell a lot for someone who shouldn't. Anyways, I'm as graceful as a giraffe that was just born. <laughs> I can sit here and roll my ankle. Like, it's great. So his father valued sports and physical education. So he viewed his older son lack of interest in sports as a sign of failure and often compared him to his younger brother. That's the worst. I know a parent who does that with their children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. I'm like, it hit me. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that was not a dab, just so you're aware. <laughs> Jesus. She's not so, talking about me. <laughs> so, um, on occasion, 
Uh, Robert's father physically and emotionally abused his children and beat them with a leather strap. Jesus mm. Christ. Um, but he, regardless of the abuse, he performed pretty good academically. Uh, teachers found him awful, awful. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And often found him difficult to teach. I'm fine. Um, due to his aloofness and his being the recipient of bullying by other students. I mean, okay. Because of this as a child, he was didn't socialize in social activities at school with his peers. I mean, so he wasn't, he was smart. He wasn't a bully in school. Like a right. lot of kids who are, or maybe not a lot, but there's a good percentage of kids mm-hmm. who were bullied or beaten at home or whatever are going to be bullies to the kiddos on the playground. Right. So it's not until later, I'm assuming something happens. Things happen. So he reaches puberty as one does some very faster than others. And I'm not okay. Anyways, um, uh, he reached puberty and discovered that he was homosexual. Right on. Do your thing. Just kidding. You're a monster. I'm not taking away from the fact of his homosexuality, but you'll you'll get it later. Um, he kept this very uh, secretive. Well, he was, yeah, in a he super was not religious. Yeah, and he didn't become open about his sexuality for several years. But um, during his early teens, he did have a girlfriend briefly, just to cover it up. Let's try to be like. Oh, maybe this isn't a real feeling that Why I'm don't having. Why do you like any of your suckers? Okay, well, put it in the trash. Okay, okay. well, that's all. That's all Make you get. Make sure it goes in the Arlo. I know, we need to take our trash okay. out, considering there's a broken bowl in there that my dog's knocked off my counter. Like my George Foreman. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, if you want to donate to our Patreon, Donna needs a new George Foreman <laughs> group. Big one, big one. Not them tiny ones. I got a big ass family. <laughs> If she's not feeding her family of seven, she's feeding our family of 17. So <laughs> the brothers were busy people. Anyways, so we're moving into his adolescence. Um, by mid-teens, he began to have a degree of self-confidence, which would manifest itself via his attitude to others, in which he would exert a somewhat rude and condescending attitude, particularly toward women. Weird. I wonder why. Um, he like, learned about cooking and art and uh, developed showmanship. On Christmas Day, 1965, his family drove to Canton, Ohio to visit his relatives. And that evening, his father suffered a heart a life. His father died of a heart attack at the age of 39. Wow. Very, very young. So he ends up returning to Cuyahoga Falls. I'm going to keep saying it because it's fun to say. Um, by himself when he arrived home. So his family went to visit relatives. He did not go on that trip. So he comes home and then that he's then told his father has died. Um, he deep dived into religion to deal with, um, the passing of his father and read extensively about many faiths, but was, but eventually became cynical about all religion, which I mean, that tends to happen sometimes, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, in, in 1965, he ends up watching the film adaptation of the John Fowles book, Fowles, Fowles, F-O-W-L-E-S, Fowles book, The Collector. The plot of this movie revolves around a man who stalks and abducts a young woman he finds attractive and holds her captive in his basement, viewing her as an attractive specimen and not as a person. See where we're going with this, people? So after several weeks, the woman dies of a contracted illness despite her captor's efforts to keep her alive. So he later states this movie had a lasting impression on him. Not that movies can um, be an excuse for, obviously, he's going to commit crimes. Horrific, disgusting, nasty crimes here soon you're going to learn. So, um, yeah, I think that's a stupid excuse. That's just the same as... 
like that's like saying video games are violent. Yeah. Like the the freaking what was it? They might be violent, but that doesn't that, case. if if the case was that watching scary movies or whatever or, I should be or a serial killer. These, yeah. <laughs> and then it would be a, uh, it would have that effect on everybody. It it has effects on people who don't have that mental that that mental connection, that normal, quote unquote normal mental connection. Yep. There's something a little off if they're a sociopath or a psychopath or whatever it may be. Yep. So moving on from that, um I'm not a doctor, nor am I um a scientist or any of that, so <laughs> This is just this is just our extensive knowledge of watching so many documentaries and stories about. I watch so much murder, and I am the most loving, caring, compassionate person you will ever meet. Hundred percent true. Me, on the other hand, I'm like I like forty percent. I can be pretty loving, but then also I'm kind of a train wreck. So well, you also don't let people like take advantage of you, whereas I'm no. still working on it. I've been doing better. Yes, I've been really. Aligning my chakras late here lately. Boom. Chakra rock. Like, rock. It worked in my, in my head. <laughs> this is why we're sisters. Um, <laughs> so shortly after his dad died, his mom remarried. Like boom, new man. Oh, that's it, it. Was met with resentment by Robert, and he felt very betrayed um, for his father, who was just. I don't know how fast they got married, but it was. Way faster than he was ready for. So, okay, I want to babble for a second. Babble. I, don't, I don't know. I don't think you mentioned quite how his mom was. You mentioned that his dad was the abusive one, would, one. right? Doesn't really say much here. So I can only imagine, and, and not knowing anything about this case or um, anything about his mother, but just to play devil's advocate, if you were in an abusive relationship with this yeah. dude who is... Uh, and she's probably pretty religious too, but I'm gonna just go where my brain's gonna. Yes, almost psychopathic mm-hmm. religious person. Yeah. Um, and abusive, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm assuming a stickler in the old ways. A woman is meant to be in the kitchen and raising her children. Barf. type thing, right? You should see my kitchen. It's a mess, guys. Bite my tongue. So I. Can understand if, and I don't know anything about this new person. If he treats her nicely. Yeah, this is. Or he treats her children nicely. You're going to be like, I don't even test the waters. I'm diving in head first. Like, not that it's always the greatest, but like, if this is, this person treats me, at least seems to be showing me some sort of respect and decency and appreciation. 100%. You're going to. Yes. Jump that. I I get it. I I also, being a child of divorce. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and remarriage um, with both of my parents. Um, I get it. Yep. I totally get it. I don't like the correlations that we're having with this fella here. Okay, well, I'm, it's not that <laughs> I just, I'm talking about the mother at this point I know. right now. And, and not and that I, my dad wasn't abusive or anything like that, but just both my, I understand the mentality of being not so impressed. I'm, I'm making him a little human right now. You're right. I am making him a little bit. He's not human. He's a monster. But we're Can, all on the same boat I am right now. We don't know what's going to happen. He's blind AF yeah, like me. That's all I can... Babbles. I mean, this could be good, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that noise was, and I'm not really proud of it, but I'm going to just... She's keeping it in, too. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, he became really withdrawn because of this and would uh, find himself in solitary activities. Um, diving into painting, collecting coins and stamps, and writing to foreign pen pals. 
this hobby of writing to pen pals in countries such as Vietnam and Burma um, would, they'd send him, these friends would send him stamps for his collection and photographs of mythical and historical icons, ancient cultures and architecture, um, and which led him to develop this awesome, intense interest in primitive art, photographs, and antiques. Okay, I almost said antiquous. Mine is penthouse. Um, yes, happily. I'm like, uh, we have a P.O. box. If you guys want to write to us, we will disclose that here soon. If you guys are interested in something like that, because I would love letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes me think of uh, Kid Craddock in the morning. Love letters. Yep. Love letters to Kelly. I was just thinking, I'm like, <laughs> why did it, when you said love letters, I'm like, why is Love letters to Kelly. It was triggering a memory. I guess. I just love that. Anyways, <laughs> we don't want love letters. We just want letters. We want love letters. Oh, we can write love letters. No dick pics, but... <laughs> and if you send them, we'll post that shit. So don't do it. Because it's not safe with me. That's where the incompassionate part of me is. You send me dick pics, they will be on my Twitter. I'll be like, <laughs> viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> Anyways, so from approximately 1965, you know, he's collecting all these wild artifacts, and that would later inspire him to open his own business in 1982. So he sounds like a regular dude. He does. It's insane what's gonna happen okay because wait there's more so we're gonna move into college years okay. so in summer of 67 he graduates from Cuyahoga Falls High School um he had like I said excellent grades and um one teacher placed him in an independent study program and then shortly after graduation he relocates to Kansas City Missouri okay. that's not that far away from us far enough away but not that far Is away Six six ish hours depends on where you go at in Kansas City. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I think we have listeners in Kansas City. Hey. Hi, Missourians. <laughs> or if you're in the Kansas City, Kansas, hello hey. there too. I I know we have a crap ton of Kansas towns that listen to Weird. us. Weird, that's where we're from. <laughs> it's our number one state. Heyo. <laughs> Hi. <I'm... laughs> okay. Keep talking. We'll keep talking. Uh, so um, he goes to he enrolls at the Kansas City Art Institute, um, with aspirations of becoming a college professor. I mean, like I said, he was very smart in school. So he, in his first year at the Institute, he was considered an attentive and talented student, but my second year in heart, heart school, I'm fine. In art school, I can't see it in my right eyeball for some reason. My contacts like bye girl. Um, he became vocally anti-authoritarian. I thought that really good. <laughs> he became a, acquainted with a clique of students who supplied him with drugs and he sold them to other students at a profit. You know, that's normal. Just sell drugs to other kids. Dude, if you can't make your payments in college, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. <laughs> if we have any college students, please don't go that route. There's there's those great people programs. Those people who are on Ritalin and stuff making some good money. Dear, some of their bills. Yeah, they're twitching. They're like, oh my God, I haven't had any weeks. Yeah. Or I haven't had any in weeks. <laughs> Depends on the kid. <laughs> so he acquired a reputation among his fellow students as a minor drug dealer. In addition, he started abusing alcohol, um, engaged in acts of animal torture. Oh, oh man. I don't, it doesn't specify, so I guess not a trigger. Oh, okay. There is a trigger warning right here. I'm eating turkey right now. Turkey, turkey. Well, that turkey was murdered. And you know what? He tastes delicious. And I can't say rest in peace because that'd be rude. Um, because he's now in my tummy. So, um. Digest in peace, little turkey. At least <laughs> three occasions. Um, with another student during these instances, instances oh my god instances he tortured a duck and a chicken 
in the presence of his peers. And then the third one, uh-oh, trigger warning, okay. dog. Mm -hmm. He experimented with sedatives and tranquilizers on the dog. Hey, go take that in your room, please. Uh, <laughs> no, it's my favorite word right now, you guys. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lose my it's not your mind. favorite, it's his. <laughs> I was being sarcastic. I am. So at the age of 19, he was attempted to... He was attempting... I'm fine. He was arrested for attempting to sell methamphetamines to an undercover officer. Well, <laughs> That's a sentence. Um, he was released after posting a $3,000 bond, which was equivalent to $22,000 in 2019. That's $3,000 because of the drugs he was selling. That's how he made bonds. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> and, um, later, Isn't it ironic? He later pled guilty to the offense and was handed a five-year suspended sentence. On uh, one month after his arrest, him and two students were arrested for the possession of marijuana and LSD in Johnson County. Wait, Johnson County? Johnson County. Oh, that's in, yeah, I was like, that's in Kansas. Holy socks. Okay, so Johnson County, which is in Kansas, is where he's arrested for LSD and marijuana. Um, we don't like you kind here, boy. <laughs> um, Overland Park is kind of where... Okay, that's fine. You can take it in my your room. It's going to die. It's like 20%, like but good luck. So, he could not post bond, spent five days in jail, although the change changes. Charges against him and one of the other students would be dropped, dropped due to lack of evidence. Wait, so he posted bond before... He could, yeah, he, he posted bond before for the um, selling drugs to an he undercover was, officer, okay. but then he gets charged again for marijuana and LSD in Johnson County, which is in Kansas. And how... What's the time frame? Do we know the time frame between these? Um... Uh, do, 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 do. one month after the first wow. arrest. It was just a month after. He learned nothing. So, hey, I knew something. So, oh, <laughs> so 1969, um, he voluntarily withdrew from the Art Institute after receiving harsh criticism from the college administrators for killing and mm -hmm. cooking a duck for the sake of art. Um, hold on. How to pick my job off the floor? But it's the same. I mean, like, okay, I'm not, I'm not okay with animal cruelty and violence. But, but there was a part of me like, trying to rationalize it. Like people cook and eat ducks all the time. But I think this is <laughs> but probably, probably very. This probably and, wasn't and, a duck he should have killed and cooked too. And I'm sure it was more of. A, I know, but I'm like, that's just that's kind of weird. Like yeah. a duck. Like that's so okay. So he chose to remain in Kansas City, and in September of 1969, he moved to an address within the Hyde Park District, 4315 Charlotte Street. This has got its own, like, uh, paragraph. So, he had been openly gay for seven years. He was fabulous with his, what is it? Sugar balls? Sugar balls! <laughs> <laughs> he was spending much of his free time with male prostitutes, drug addicts, petty criminals, and runaways. You know, the usual crowd. Mm. Homies. Um, these individuals... He'd typically befriend, he'd help try to free them from their drug addictions and general lethargic or criminal lifestyles, and he was adamant that through much of the 1970s, he had no physical contact whatsoever with any of these individuals. Just so, my head just started hurting with knowing what he's done. Like, I was reading this last night when I came across this case, so I busted my butt to try and decide, like, hey, let's do a Friday butt the 13th. Buster. Buster. Sugar butt. Sugar butt. <laughs> 
sugar balls and sugar butts with the universal titties. Yeah. It always comes back to that. Mm-hmm. So, so to several of his neighbors, he um, almost felt like a foster parent to many of these youths. Like, I hate, him seem so I was like, I hate how much I want to like him. Yeah. But you won't. Yeah. By the early 1980s, uh, many of his older acquaintances had seized any form of social contact with him because, and then he began relying on these young men as a source of companionship and friendship. Um, he would become increasingly frustrated at many of these individuals' ignorance to his efforts to assist them to steer their lifestyles away from harm and deterioration. So he's starting to show yeah, a little like, bit of anger. So, but I'm like, you're dealing with drug addicts and right. sex at like people. But are, it's interesting. Like, let's let's pretend we don't know the end. Let's pretend it's like this lifetime. Well, lifetime wouldn't show this, but like this movie, right? Yeah. And you're like, and so they're building it up. They're like, this is what this dude has been through, and you're like, oh, oh, we'll get him a little drug dealer. Oh, what do you want to do? Oh, selling shit. Oh, murdering animals. But look at him now. He's not selling drugs, and he's I'm helping trying to people help people get off, and... become not prostitutes. So and this drug is guys. this is a good build. This is a like, this Intense. is a book too. I'm really digging. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a book. I didn't read a book for this one. Um, I'll have to check it out. Um, if I find it, I will add it to well, our Instagram like book. I appreciate it. I like you're it. I like welcome. <laughs> so despite these claims um, to investigators, he would often engage in sexual relations with several of these individuals and establish a degree of control over them. Um, in part to these sexual relations via methods of including loading, oh my God, Nicole Elizabeth, loading them money and allowing them to live rent-free at his house for periods of time. So he was starting to use sex. Naughty, naughty, disgusting human. So to his neighbors, he was considered flamboyant, heyo, and yet helpful and civic-minded individual. Huh? You got to poop? Okay. Did you or are you going to? (laughs) <laughs> that was great. You... Oh. No, you're not taking your phone into not, the bathroom. Not in the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. You can go potty and then get the phone afterwards, okay? You can put it on the floor. Yeah, that's fine. My phone's about to go in the toilet, you guys, and I'm not taking any of that out. But I will be, we'll pause shortly because I'm sure I'll have to go help him. Because he likes to go poop and then just put his pants on and go live his best life. And I'm like, honey, we are not doing this yet. We're going to learn how to wipe our booties. But otherwise, my kid's potty trained. Hey, wee Yeah. Okay, so he was super flamboyant, but yet he was very helpful and civic-minded, um, despite generally unkempt state of his property and somewhat haughty attitude. Mm-hmm. So beginning in the late 1970s, he'd assist in organi- organizational activities of the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhood Association. Wow. There's <sighs> a big freaking corporation or organ, whatever becoming their chairman in the early 80s and encouraging neighborhood watch patrols. Okay. So he remained active in the association until mid-1980s where he relinquished his position to the organization. So then he um, would also represent the neighborhood at fundraising events for local public television station, although he would disengage himself from these events by the mid-1980s. So everything apparently in the mid-80s started affecting him. Shortly after he moved into that Charlotte Street address, he was working as a short order cook in restaurants around Kansas City to help pay the lawyer fees and fines accrued from the drug arrest he had at, endured at the age of 19. And addition, obtaining um, additional income, he would sell, he sold arcane items of art and antiques he had collected from his friends um, that he would receive from his pen pals. 
uh, Africa, Asia, South America, various Pacific Rim countries. He would initially operate the side business from his home. So his career in side business gradually flourished by the mid-1970s, and he began working as a senior cook at several renowned Kansas City restaurants, also joining a local chef's association um, that would help teach... Did you go poop? Just peed? Okay. He's wet. You're wet? Yeah. Come here. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay, now we're back. Okay, now I don't remember what... Oh, yeah. Um, How he's starting this weird, successful side business. Um, Yeah, he worked at a bunch of different uh, restaurants. Joined the local chefs association, and then he started a training program for aspiring chefs at a local community college. And then as his business began to burgeon, I mean, guess grow, he began to devote more of his attention to his own business as opposed to work as uh, his work as a chef, so the, the selling the artifacts and stuff. So by 1981, he had established several contractual agreements with both national and international contracts for contacts for his own business, and he viewed this as a full-time job in just stopped being a chef altogether. So, in 1982, he began renting his own booth at the Westport Flea Market, which, I mean, flea markets are awesome. I love them. Yes. I miss it's been, like, even pre-pandemic, it's been so long since I've been to yes. a swap meet or a flea market. Or... Yeah. So, the store that um, he gets this booth at is named Bob's Bazaar Bazaar. Oh, it's nice. like B-A-Z-A-A-A-R. A-A-R. And then bizarre, like crazy bizarre. So Bob's bizarre, bizarre. Um, primarily sold uh, primitive art, jewelry, and antiques, which is you know right up uh, Berdella's alley. Um, he made a generous monthly profit, and it, the income he typically generated was often not suffi- sufficient to maintain his daily expenses to make ends meet. However, so as a result, he would occasionally have to either sell goods to fellow merchants at a financial loss, or steal or scavenge for items to sell at his booth. Uh, additionally, he he would often take lodgers at his home as a means of gaining additional income. He would take what at his home? My phone. Is lodgers. Oh, okay. Like people, people that, like renters. Probably like rent a room or... He's lying. It's fine. So at his work premises, he became acquainted with a fellow merchant named Paul Howell, who operated a booth adjacent to his... I love that word adjacent. Sorry, I say it all the time. Um, He then became acquainted with Paul Howell's younger son, Jerry. Uh-oh. Initially, Jerry Howell and his friends scathed and taunted Berdella o- over his overt homosexuality, although, according to Berdella, Howell, Jerry later confided in him that he and his friends occasionally earned money as male prostitutes. Do you see where this is heading? Remember, he used to help prostitutes and homeless people and drug addicts. So... In the early 1980s, um, Paul Howell relocated his business from the Westport Flea Market to a store with a building located close to the intersection of 39th and Main Street. Okay, so um, his family had also moved into an apartment above the shop. This is Paul Howell, the dad of Jerry. And despite his younger son occasionally engaging in heated arguments with Verdella, Arlo, shush, they would invariably reignite a casual friendship and via Verdella offering his legal or financial assistance so should Jerry encounter minor scrapes with the law. By the summer of 1984, Jerry Howell had turned 19. So, okay. young boy 
I know. Okay, so. She won't do her toys. So, um, this victim is what Jerry Howell turns into, and he was, Verdella is believed to have killed him on July 5th, 1984, which was 19-year-old Jerry Howell, with whom he had become closely reacquainted in the year prior to his murder, and whom he abducted on the promise of driving the youth to attend a dancing contest in Merriam, which is in Johnson County, Kansas. Um, or Merriam is in Kansas. According to Berdella, he plied Howell with alcohol, Valium, and uh, Acepromazine. Is, it's an antipsychotic drug. Oh, okay. Yes, baby? Yeah, I know. She keeps running over here. It's okay, baby. It's just a neighbor. She's, She's fine. Cute. <laughs> She's so cute. Um, so, Valium, alcohol, antipsychotic drug, both in his car and at his house until the youth became unconscious. So, what would... What would... What, what would lead to this? Uh, no, no, no. Not so, what would an antipsychotic drug do to somebody who's not psychotic? Uh, well, it said he, he kept pumping him full of drugs until he became unconscious so it just knocked him out because like okay if you take ritalin and you're and, and you're not add or whatever mm -hmm. adhd whatever the right terminology is yeah it it makes you hyper it's almost like meth yeah right but for the person taking an antipsychotic but and i know that has nothing to do with being psychotic i just i want to know what the knocked him unconscious. maybe because i'm an addict what, what, I mean, not because, like, hey, just I want to try it, but, like, what would, I mean. Just you, what would be the effect of it? Yeah, what would it do? Is it going to make you so high? Is it going to make you, like, a heroin thing where you're more calm and da da da, da Well, I mean, okay, so that's an antipsychotic, and Valium is. It calms um, you. Is a calming. So he's giving, yeah. So it's probably so more it's gonna, just a super downer. Downer, okay, well, yeah. on top of alcohol. Yeah. And then on top of that, he then injected him with a heavy tranquilizer before binding the youth to his bed. Wow, Okay. And it probably should have been trigger warning. Was it a horse tranquilizer? I... Good fucking god. So <laughs> he was restrained to the bed for a period of approximately 28 hours, oh, just man. over a day. And throughout this period of captivity, Verdella repeatedly drugged, tortured, trigger warning, mm -hmm. raped, and violated him with foreign objects, repeatedly ignoring him, his question as to why he was being treated in this manner and pleased to be freed before, according to Berdella, Jerry either asphyxiated on his own vomit or the combination of the gag and the medicines were too strong for him to be able to catch breath. So basically he suffocated to death in some form or fashion. Just for this guy to get his jollies off on a freaking 19-year-old child. Because he's a child. I don't care. So, he would later state that he briefly attempted to perform... Um, let me just put CPR. <laughs> I'm not saying... Car cardiopulmonary resuscitation upon Howell after he died before dragging the body to the basement. Which is... This is going to be a reoccurring factor. Okay. He suspended his body above a large cooking pot and made several incisions into the youth's inner elbows and jugular vein before leaving the body suspended in this position overnight to allow the blood to drain from his corpse. Oh. <sighs> what? What happened between him being this kid's friend and him snapping to wanting to kill him? Oh, wait. There's more. Okay. Tr this is a whole ass trigger warning just for the rest of the, the rest. next the next 
the rest at of 30 story. to 45 minutes of this episode. So the following day, he dismembers his body with a chainsaw and boning knives before wrapping the sections. Are you going to say something about boning? I was going to say my chainsaw. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah. I'm going to find it. Well, baby, find it. Oh, I don't, do I don't have any more, baby. There's no more. Give me the juice out of the fridge and I'll pour you some. He tried to bring me a cup earlier that had um, freaking milk in it. And I'm like, that was kind of getting old because I need to do dishes. I'm kind of, um, dishes aren't my favorite chore. Okay, so anyways. Just, just send me a message, you guys. At the end of this podcast, I will talk to you about why chainsaws were made. Okay. If you don't know already, you're gonna. You're and gonna it's bananas. I didn't know. To write myself a note. Here you go. So, um, yeah. Chainsaw and boning knives before wrapping the sections in newspaper and trash bags. These bags were later placed inside larger trash bags, which he placed outside for a garbage crew to collect and take to a landfill. Dismembered a human body and puts it out like just simple trash. Because he's simple trash. Ha! hey Later, um... He was later questioned by officers invade investigate. I almost said invading. Okay. Invading his question, mm-hmm. investigating Howell's disappearance. Brunella claimed to have driven the youth to Miriam as promised, and that the two parted uh, com- had parted company close to Howell's intended destination. Oh. Brunella further claimed he had not seen him since. He's a fucking liar, as would be the case with all of Bardella's murders. Bardella's, because there's more. Just wait, just wait. There's more. We're gonna be talking about more. Um, we're going to keep going. He kept a detailed log in which he documented each, uh, each act of se- sexual and physical torture inflicted upon his victims. Burdella would recall that like the subsequent victims he would hold captives. Howell had repeatedly pleaded for on, for his ongoing abuse and torture to seize throughout the period of his capture. Although Burdella would ignore these pleas, taunt his victim or threaten him. Mm-hmm. So these people are literally begging him to stop and he would just ignore it because that's what something with a broken brain does. Um, he would remain adamant to the investigators that this would not be for his enjoyment, but what he termed his physical and mental satisfaction. So, okay. So that was, that happened July 5th, 1984. So we're going to jump, not quite a year, to uh, April 10th, 1985, a former lodger, or uh, renter, whatever you want to call him, of Burdella's 23-year-old Robert Sheldon arrived on his doorstep asking if he could stay at his house for a short period of time. Run, Robert! Get the hell out of there, Robert! Bye! Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. According to Burdella, although Sheldon was responsible in paying rent, he considered him an inconvenience, and although he was not physically attracted to this victim, chose to drug and hold him captive on April 12th when he returned home from work. Hold on. When he returned home from work to find Sheldon intoxicated in his home. So, this is two days after this kid comes and asks for help. I say 23, as if that's not that. Marlo, what are you doing? Mommy, daddy's here. Daddy's not here. Not you, liar face. <laughs> you can see out the window perfectly right now. You would see a car pull up. He is not. Plus, you have my phone. He will call when he's on his way home. So, anyways. So that he can call Probably should. Um, but, any who's or what's as we're talking about, he comes home and finds Sheldon intoxicated in his house. Okay. So, he comes home. Uh, Bordello was adamant he held no firm malice towards Sheldon, but saw him as an individual upon he could express some of the anger and frustration that he had toward other people on. Ew. 
So this kid, 23-year-old, he's still a kid to me. I mean, I'm only 27, but he's a kid. And he's drunk at this guy's house, so he's going to take his anger out on him. So he was drugged with sedatives. Help. Stop. No. Me. Hold. Yes, baby. You can take some of those to color on, baby. That's fine. Here. Not all of them. My goodness, that's a lot of paper to waste. Here. Take just a few. Color me some pictures. Sure. Your crayons are right here. You want to color the crayons? It doesn't clean. No, that's a pencil. You want these crayons? There you go. Sorry, guys, for the pause. My child's going to make me some art. So, um, yeah, drugged him with sedatives, held him captive in the second floor bedroom for three days, enduring forms of torture such as swabbing the drain cleaner in his the swabbing of drain cleaner in his left eye and inserting needles beneath his fingertips. Ah! And binding his wrist with piano wire with the intention of permanently damaging the nerves in his hands. I can't. Okay. And filling his ears with talking to reduce his hearing capacity. Wow. That is. That's deep insanity. Like, that's, that is. That is. That's just monstrous. Monstrous. I don't even. That seems too nice of a word. So three days after he began holding him captive on April 15th, the day the Titanic sank, a workman came to perform some scheduled work on the roof of his home, leading Bordella to choose to fatally suffocate Sheldon by placing a sack over his head, which then he tightened with a piece of rope, and then he later dissected Sheldon's body in the third floor bathroom. Okay. Three days, or no, not three days. The following June, so this happened in April. This was June. Uh, Berdella found Max, Max, oh, Mark, yes. Mark died. Wallace. Yes, our Max died. Yes, our dog. Would have been a birthday today. Yeah, today was. Ah, sorry, just try not to think about it. He would have been five. Holy crap. Six? No, I don't six. Think. He would have been yeah. six. Yeah, because he was, he would, it was the same year as her. Oh. He was born exactly seven days after she passed away. Isn't that crazy? I think he was that close to my Yep. He was six. Um, so then he meets Mark Wallace, whom he vaguely knew, um, via Wallace had previously helped him with yard work, hiding his, in his tool shed to seek shelter from a severe thunderstorm. So this is how he encounters him. As had been the case with Robert Sheldon, he invited him inside his house and noting Wallace's acute state of tenseness and depression, volunteered to inject him with chlorpromazine. With the exhalation, it would calm and relax, and chlora, chlorpromazine, CPZ, um, another antipsychotic medication, which is used to treat schizophrenia. Yep. So I'm assuming if that, that's to quiet the voices in your head, it quiets your brain so much, or I would assume almost to the point where you're not even talking either. Or, yeah, it or just brings you just... almost like a vegetative yeah, state. Yeah, yeah. Almost. That would be... <gasps> that would be so, Wallace... Accepted the offer. I mean, he's depressed and doesn't, he's tense. I mean, sure, drug me up so I don't feel shit. Mm. And 30 minutes later, guess what? He becomes a captive, or Berdella decides to render him a captive. Wallace was carried to the second floor bedroom where he endured almost a day of captivity and torture, including, oh boy, here we go, the application of alligator clips to his nipples to facilitate electrical shocks to his body at any point 
which Wallace began regressing into a state of unconsciousness. So this, these shocks were making his brain shut down. Oh According to Berdella, one hour after his experimenting with hypodermic needles by inserting them into various muscles upon his victim's back, he died. Mark Wallace died through a combination of the drugs, the gag, and the lack of oxygen. Is what he said. He noticed this victim's death time of death as being 7 p.m. on June 23rd. So. One was April 10th and then June 23rd. So not, not too barely two months later, yep. becoming a cereal. Okay. Um, sure. On So that was June. Now on September 26th, and this is increase in brutality. It's going to get worse. I don't know how, but it's going to. So Verdella gets a phone call from an acquaintance named James Ferris, who asked to stay at Verdella's home for a short time. He accepted with the specific intention of kidnapping him, so he remains to meet him at a bar that evening. Despite the brutality to which he had subject subjected his first three victims, he claimed that Ferris was the first victim upon whom he intentionally inflicted torture. Because there wasn't torturing, putting freaking shocks in through a guy's nipples. Not torture enough. Sean is helping my child get a drink. Um, above my microwave. So, um, he informed investigators that there were occasions during his three final victims' periods of captivity, captivity he ceased making additions to his abuse logs because he assumed the victim would not be able to make it much longer. So he stopped documenting what was happening to these people. Well, it's plastic and I don't trust you. So... <laughs> That is a fair judgment. So, Berdella brought Ferris home, drugged him, and crushed tranquilizers he had concealed. Oh, drugged him with crushed tranquilizers he concealed in a meal, then tied him to the bed before torturing him almost constantly for approximately 27 hours straight. Oh, my. So, the torture included repeating of administering 7,700-volt 7, electric shocks to the shoulder and testicles for up to five minutes in each instance, an acupuncture via hypodermic needles to the neck and genitals. Ferris gradually became delirious. Well, yes, but Berdella continued his physical and sexual assaults until he noticed. He noted in his log that Ferris was un unable to sit up for more than 10 to 15 seconds. And the next entry reads very delayed breathing. And finally, Berdella noted that. Ferris died with the slang term he had used in his career as a chef, 86. Oh. Which he explained meant anything to, from throw it out or to stop the project. So, like, 86 the project. Mm -hmm. So, that's when he started. So, that was September 26, 1985. Oh. Um, he would have died, well, it would have been the next day because he tortured him for 27 hours straight. Um, Todd Stoops is the next person, was a drug, drug addict and sometimes a prostitute who, alongside his wife, had twice lived briefly in Berdella's house in 1984. So after they moved out for the second time, Berdella didn't see him again until a chance encounter at Kansas City's Liberty Memorial Park on June 17, 1986. So this is almost a, not quite a year later because that one was in... Um, uh, September 26, 1985, so now we're in June of 1986. Verdell invited him to his house with an offer of lunch and then added an incentive of sex. As Stoops had stated, he needed $13 to purchase drugs equivalent to $30 in 2019. I like that they put that in this. Um, got a notes article thing that I'm using. Like, what an odd... I need $13. Yeah. 
right as, for drugs like, what's as, a what's former, as a former buyer of, uh-huh. of illegals uh-huh. um it was never an odd number <laughs> that's <laughs> wild really like 30 bucks would make sense yeah. like i need 30 maybe bucks. even 15 15 but, but 13 dollars yeah well i mean whatever helps you get your fix yes um Bordella would later stress the investigators <gasps> but it is for the 13 <gasps> sorry 13! There it is. There's a correlation. Uh, would later stress to investigators that he had been extremely physically attracted to Stoops, and this victim was held captive for two weeks before he killed him. Oh, you don't want him to be attracted to you, then. Please. With him gradually increasing his captive's terror to make him a cooperative and an incapacitated sex slave, he'd use the electric shocks through Stoops' closed eyes in an attempt to blind him and inject a gr- uh, drain cleaner into his larynx to silence his screaming. So he would shock his eyes to blind him and then inject with a needle in his larynx. That chills everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. like in, in, inside too, not just outside. That one. So yeah, just wait, just wait. We're not right. done with poor little RIP Todd Stoops. Mm-hmm. Um, during the second week of his capture, Stoops asked Bordella for a soft drink and a sandwich. When, if, uh, when Bordella refused, he burst into tears. Stoops did. On June 27th, so he can, they ran into each other. Not that it matters, but I like numbers. June 17th. So this is 10 days later. He ruptured Stoops. Oh, God. Trigger warning. It, okay. you may, if you need to skip through, you can skip like 15 seconds ahead, but this is going to get a little rough. So if you need to skip through, this is going to get rough. Okay. He ruptured his anal wall with his fist. Causing bleeding and discharge. Towards the end of Stoops' captivity, he tried to feed his captive ice cream and soup, although Stoops wasn't able to keep anything down. Oh my god, that uh, that fucked me up. By the final day of his captivity, Stoops was so weak, Bordella later um, stated that he had been able to br- unable to breathe in a sitting position. On July 1st, 1986... Hold on, baby. Stoops died. A forensic pathologist later testified that the ruptured anal wall caused septic shock, which proved fatal. Yes, love. You need to puke. Well, then go puke on in the bathroom. Are you gonna really puke? Don't puke in the cup. I don't know what just happened right now. <laughs> he drank a bunch of milk the other day and it, he ended up throwing up in my car because I think he just had too much dairy because he's kind of sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. So now he's like obsessed with puking. So yes. sorry, guys, I'm not going to remove that. So that's why my kid's talking about puke. He's fine. So everyone knows he is fine. Yes. I think maybe he, I think it makes him super gassy too. So that's going to be unfortunate for his dad later. Um, who's <laughs> <laughs> also lactose, so he'll get it. So. Can you pause for a second? Okay. I just need your... I just need your okay. Sorry, I had to take a Hello. small, brief question I answering. Okay. So, no. In the spring... No. In the spring of 1987, Rodella became friendly with a 20-year-old... 20. 20. That's a baby. Named Larry Wayne Pearson. The casual friendship began when Pearson entered his shop and explained to Bordella that as a child, he had held an interest in both witchcraft and wizardry. Well, okay. I can think of his Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Not that Harry, I'm, Harry Potter wasn't a thing in 1987. True. So short. So this is going over the course of like a couple years. Is these 
uh, freaking murders are happening. So, shortly thereafter, Pearson temporarily lodged with Verdella, as they do, and willingly performed chores around his home as means of paying rent. According to Verdella, he done, didn't intend to capture this individual, but ooh, but formed a plan to do so on June 23rd. Having bailed Pearson out of jail, the young man began jokingly referring to his practice of robbing gay men in Wichita. Wichita. Oh, no. Wichita. Wichita. I go there a lot. I see family there. Wichita, Kansas. Woo! I forget that this is so close to home. Um, so that evening... Uh, Bradella ensured Pearson became intoxicated before injecting him with that chlorpromazine. Chlor Anyone knows how to pronounce things, please help me. And I will correct it in our next episode. Um, <laughs> moving him down to the basement so he didn't put him in the bedroom like tradition. Where he bound Pearson's hands above his... Okay, no, it's leave it alone. Okay, bye. Where he bound Pearson's hands above his head, then linked the rope he had used for this purpose to a brick column before injecting his larynx with drain cleaner. And then he brought an electrical transformer to the basement. Oh <clears throat> so, according to Berdella, Pearson was by far the most comparative, most cooperative comparative, of his six murder victims. On the fifth day of his captivity, I don't know, it's in there somewhere. Um, on the fifth day of his captivity, having by this stage endured torture such as the repeated administration of electrical shocks with the transformer and the breaking of several hand bones with an iron rod mm. to render him submissive, Berdella deduced Pearson had earned his trust as to his continued cooperation as sexual and physical abuse. As a form of a reward, Pearson was moved to the second floor with Berdella, first informing Pearson that if he continued to cooperate, he would not continue to inflict as much pain upon him as he had done. Yeah, well, she ate it. Go put it in the trash. So, as he had done, so while he had been held in captive in the basement. So he said he would lessen the pain. He continued to cooperate, which yeah, I mean... Yeah, leave your captor. Well, I mean, don't... I mean, I don't know. Throughout the latter part of his six weeks of captivity, Pearson trained himself to sleep without moving and ordered that he did not antagonize Bordella and thus invite torture of being returned to the basement. So apparently this bedroom is a sanctuary compared to the basement. In an act of despair, Pearson deeply bit into Bordella's penis before screaming he could not continue to tolerate being treated in this manner. In response, he was killed by first bludgeoning Pearson him into unconsciousness with a tree limb, then suffocated him with a bag and a ligature before driving to the hospital to receive treatment for his wound. Okay, dabble for a moment. Okay, I, I understand the biting, but I feel if it were me or you're, you're this captive, wouldn't you bite almost pit bull grip to rip that fucker off? <laughs> I mean, not that I don't know how much, try, but like I, Xander bit Jariah the other day and he, yeah, I mean, it's my it was, nephews, it was, their brothers. Was, yeah. Rough. And, and so I'm just, there's no bone. Yeah. So I, I could just, not that, I mean, maybe he didn't, maybe he'd try. He may not have had yeah, the yeah, strength yeah. to do oh, it. That's true with all the okay. drugs and being, but that being, would be having my, to have like, his I'm hands up and to rip that sucker off. I'm, I'm sure that's what his intention so, yeah. was. But, good for him. but I mean, I know it's a, it's a, it's an awful, but good for him. Yep. 
Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't yeah. understand these people sometimes now go ahead and do this to me. Ah, oh, there, there are some, mm-hmm. you got teeth in there. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, yeah, exactly. Straight up. Um, yeah. You know, tries to, he bites down before screaming and then he ends up getting bludgeoned to death and then suffocated. And then uh, Berdella goes to be treated on his penis, goes to the hospital. I'm like, there's a dead man in my house. He just tried to bite my penis off, okay, but I killed so him. Okay, so went to the hospital? Yeah, okay, to go so get treated dude, for his... Dude got... Okay, all right, all right. I should have waited. Yeah, Berdella did. did everything he could to try to rip yeah. off her off. So, okay. so then... He, hold on, baby. Pearson's body was later dismembered in the basement and his head initially stored in a plastic bag inside Berdella's freezer before being buried in the backyard. Try to bite off my head. I'm gonna take off yours. Ooh. So they have an excerpt right here of what uh, Robert Berdella. Okay. So this is his final final victim is what we're getting to right now. So this is so this started back in what like eighty four, nineteen eighty four. Am I right? Hold on. Let me go. First note. Yeah, July fifth, nineteen eighty four, and now we are at March twenty ninth, nineteen eighty eight. So almost okay. four years later, at one a.m. Um, Berdella abducted his last victim, a 22-year-old male prostitute named Christopher Bryson, who he lured lured to his home upon the promise of payment for sex because he was a prostitute. I said that. At Berdella's home, Bryson was knocked unconscious with an iron bar, then bound to the bed, and he was subjected to similar abuse methods, um, tortured, endured by previous victims, although in his case, Berdella repeatedly swabbed his eyes with ammonia. Before exclaiming to him, the only things you need to think about are you, me, and this house. It's gnarly. So, I'm going to read this little excerpt here that's on this this article that I'm using. Um, It said, this is Robert speaking to Christopher on March 29, 1988. You did not choose to be here, but you are. For you to survive being here and for you to, you know, make it, it could either be rough or it could be easy. If I grow to like you and to trust you, then I could do special things for you, such as buy you cigarettes, pick up a movie on the way home from work, and so forth. Don't try to fight me, or you'll just get more of what you had earlier. You see, what you got is nothing compared to what you can have. If that doesn't chill your whole soul, then maybe you need to see a doctor. But yeah, um, so after several days, Berdella explained to Bryson that he had begun to trust this captive. And that although he was willing to discuss aspects of the abuse and torture he was receiving, there would be no negotiations negotiations pertaining to his sexual abuse. Verdella finished the dis- okay. Verdella finished this discussion with a stem warning. I've gotten this far with other people before, and they're dead now because of mistakes they've made. So this is going to get a little better, <laughs> considering. The entire story of its entirety. Um, so, by the third day of his capture, Bryson had earned sufficient trust for Berdella to persuade, persuade him to establish a daily regime of tying his hands in front of him after a sexual abuse, abuse rather than above his head to the bed upon the excuse that Berdella is going, doing so was restricting the circulation to his arms. He also persuaded him to leave a television on in the room with a remote control placed between his legs when Berdella was out of the room. He would later state to investigators that he had thought almost constantly about escaping, but he knew this, this Christopher is a, he's a 
he's a badass. Okay. Following day, he managed to break free of his restraints by burning through them using a book of matches Bradella had inadvertently left in the room and within his reach after he had left the house to go to his place of work. And okay, so I can only imagine how difficult it is. I can barely light a lighter by myself untied, but to do a match, I can't light matches to save my life, but to sit there and then burn them off. And the determination. You're going to get, you're going to do anything in your power. But, but wait, there's more. So he escapes from the house by jumping from a second floor window, that bedroom that all those other people, those six other boys had been taken to wearing nothing but a dog collar around his neck. He jumps from the window, breaks a bone in his foot in the process, and he runs toward a meter reader across street um the other side of the street shouting for the individual to call the police the individual led bryson to the house he had been approaching whereupon the occupants um called the police immediately who arrived minutes later so he was questioned at the scene by four officers and uh bryson initially claimed that he had been hitchhiking when he was abducted not wanting to state he was a prostitute which okay but but, they'll find out later it's fine yeah but (laughs) He had been kidnapped, raped, and tortured for four days before he escaped by jumping from the window on the second floor of the property. This individual kept him bound to a bed on the second floor of the house throughout much of the time he had been held against his will, repeatedly, trigger warning, sodomizing him, drugging him, and injecting his throat with drain cleaner to diminish his ability to speak loudly. Sorry, sodomization is just... So as Bryson spoke, the officers also noted that in addition to the dog collar and broken foot, he had red swollen eyes and visible scars and welts across his entire body. Um, two officers were told to maintain a discreet surveillance of the property as Bryson was the, was driven to the Menorah Medical Center, accompanied by a third officer for treatment as the fourth officer radioed the Kansas City Police Department to request a formal search warrant of the property to be drafted. Bryson was later questioned in great detail at Kansas uh, Kansas City Police Department, and he had saying he had been held against his will by the occupant of 4315 Charlotte Street, who had subjected him to four days of repeated sexual abuse, humiliation, and torture. He told the police his captor had shown him Polaroid images of men who appeared to be deceased, with the explanation that these had been previous individuals he had unsuccessfully attempted to collect as his sexual slaves. I could imagine, sorry to interrupt, but I could imagine also, you're going to tell a cop, well, I'm a prostitute. They're going to be like, well, then this is what you wanted. So I understand. I'm a hitchhiker. I like, yeah. them to hear Because prostitutes story. are viewed as less dead, as yeah. awful as that is. So, That's why they were easy targets, because they're people who probably wouldn't be searched for. Why many serial killers have gone after them, and those are the ones that get away with much more killing. Way too many. So, so. I get it. Furthermore, his captor had informed Bryson he had no intention of ever allowing him to leave his property and that he had claimed he had killed the previous individuals he'd captured and treated them in the same manner and that if Bryson became a nuisance or a threat to him, he would either be subjected to greater levels of torture than what he had already endured or simply killed. So they put a a search warrant together. And he was arrested, uh, Bradella was arrested on charges pertaining to the sexual assault of Christopher Bryson. And he de- he declined to allow officers inside his home. Hmm, wonder why. It's not like there's, like, bodies or anything yeah, hidden on the property. Okay, how do you get a warrant? It's just based on what this... Okay. The search Sorry. warrant was earlier requested was drafted to search his property. Um, corroborating Bryson's claims having been restrained and tortured in a second-floor bedroom, they discovered the bedroom on the second floor was found to have burnt ropes attached to the post at the foot of the bed. Because remember, he burned himself free. 
Also in the room was an electrical transformer that he used to shock people with, plugged into a wall, and with liars le wires leading to the bed. There was a metal tray containing syringes, small bottles, um, apparently containing prescription drugs, swabs, and eye drops were also close to the bed. They found a long iron pipe, various lengths of rope, and leather belts. Also noted that the post on the bed had been extensively worn, suggesting that restraints had been earlier tied to these posts and that the individual or individuals had struggled to free themselves. Searching elsewhere in the house on 4315 Charlotte box? Street. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I don't know what he has playing on my phone, but okay. Um, uh, they uncovered a human skull inside a closet on the second floor of his property and a partially decomposed human head in the backyard, which they, he did say that he did decapitate, well, cut off the head of one of them and buried him back there. Um, the search also uncovered several human vertebrae scarred by both hacksaw and knife marks stowed in a hallway and several human teeth stowed in two envelopes. I was putting the box. They, um, both a hacksaw and miter saw were discovered in the basement of the property, and a chainsaw was also found to be soiled with bloodstains, flesh, and pubic hairs. Excuse the noise. My son is moving a giant box into my bedroom. Go, take it to Mommy's room. go ahead. You can go. You can leave it right there. Please don't be loud with it. We're almost done, baby. I'm almost finished. Um, yep. Luminol test revealed the floor of Bordella's basement had two trash, two plastic trash barrels, which were ex were extensively bloodstained. Three hundred and thirty-four Polaroid pictures and thirty-four snapshot prints of various male individuals were found in various locations in his house. These pictures showed Christopher. These pictures showed Christopher Bryson and several other men, both in life and in death. Many of the images had been taken as the subjects had been tortured. The search was also uncovered numerous restraints and sexual devices, pornographic literature, hypodermic needles, and a book of, on narcotics. Um, in one bedroom, they found a stenographer's pad containing the detailed torture logs he maintained for each victim, several clippings from the Kansas City Star regarding a missing young man named Jerry Howell, both a wallet and the driver's license belonging to a missing, missing person named James Ferris, was also discovered in the closet on the second floor of the property. Wow. So, they assembled a special task force of 11... What? Almost done. Special task force... Yep. Of 11 detectives and one surgeon. My eyes hurt from reading on my computer screen. That's where I took my notes. Arlo, we're not done yet. Arlo, stop. Be quiet. One sergeant to focus exclusively on this case. The task force extensively researched his history, discovering that he was a well-known individual among Kansas City male hustlers, having earned a reputation for preying on transient young men. Several of these male prostitutes were also reluctant to accept him as a client, both because of his penchant for drugging, injecting, and torturing his sexual partners and acquaintances, <laughs> also because he had been... I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at us trying to quiet my child, and he's shaking his head yes instead of no. We're not done yet. You need to wait. Or you take it to Mommy's room. Yep. Okay. Well, then then I will move it, and you will not be able to play with it at all. Yep. That's how this goes down. Dude, we're almost done. We just got a little bit more, okay? So be quick. No, I'm not, not done. done yet. I know. So, um, yeah, so they... Question these people and then 
end up finding the personal possessions of Gary Howell and James Ferris in the house. There were several missing person reports that had been filed in relation to to both of these men, and he was extensively questioned in relation to both of these disappearances. In both instances, I can't say that word, he has denied having anything to do with individuals' disappearance. Well, too freaking bad. Um, James Ferris's wife ended up identifying him in several instant photos at his property and some taken after her husband's death. Oh, God. I told it. Um, Paul Howell formally identified one picture of a young man hanging upside down in Bordello's basement as depicting his son, Jerry. Several other Polaroid images depicted um, as yet unidentified young men, and several detectives were assigned the task of identifying them um, to determine if they were alive or dead, and if alive, um, the circumstances surrounding his depiction, because some of these people he didn't kill. I mean, he's, it's only confirmed of six. So, um, it goes more into detail just about, like, them trying to put together all of these uh, pictures. So, um, at one point, Bordello was initially formal, formally charged with one count of felonious restraint, count of assault, and seven counts of forcible sodomy as investigators continued, Arlo, stop, continued their investigation into the discoveries at his property and formally compiled further charges against him. He was assigned a temporary public defender as his legal representative and held in protective custody in a Jackson County jail in lieu of a $500,000 bail, which is equivalent to $1,100,000 in 2019. So the, in, in late April, the skull found inside the closet was identified via dental records um, obtained from the university, a subpoena from the University of Kansas Medical Center as that of Robert Sheldon. Same day, a dental identification was made upon Sheldon's skull. Two men separately phoned the Kansas City Police Department to state one of seven unidentified young men depicted in a photographic array released the media, released to the media on April 27th was a former high school acquaintance of theirs named Mark Wallace, one of the victims. Wow. Um, when contacted Wallace, the a detective contacted Wallace's sister. She had said her brother had been missing since mid-1985. So this was three years later. Shortly thereafter, investigators discovered that photograph D released to the media in this same array was one of Larry Wayne Pearson. Larry Pearson had been awarded the court in Wichita. His dental records were discovered and compared with the skull found in Bordella's backyard. So he's the one whose head he buried back there. Right. Bordella was formally charged with the murder by dismemberment of Larry Wayne Pearson in July after the head discovered in his backyard was formally identified as Pearson's on May 12th. Um, prosecutors had gathered sufficient circles, circumstantial evidence to accompany, to accompany the physical evidence retrieved. Alrighty. So on July 22nd, 1988, a grand jury, <laughs> I was trying to read jury and formally together. A grand jury indicted him for the murder of Larry Wayne Pearson. The following month, he was arraigned and pleaded guilty in the Fourth Circuit of the Jackson County Court before Judge Alvin C. Randall to the first degree of Larry Pearson. Um, following the submission and acceptance of this plea, um, he insisted that Berdella confessed under oath to Pearson's death. In, re death. in response to a questioning by his attorneys, Berdella stated, 
I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> I put a plastic bag over his head and tied it with a rope and allowed him to suffocate. When asked if he had performed this act deliberately and with malice afterthought, he simply stated yes. 100%. He was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possible, hold on baby, without the possibility of parole. Upon being sentenced, Bordello was transferred to the Missouri State Penitentiary to commence his life sentence. He would temporarily be placed in protective custody at the Potosi Correctional Center due to concerns for his safety. Now, let those, let, no, nope. So, a second guilty plea submitted by the Jackson County Court on August 24th earned Bordella a life, further life term without parole for one charge of forcible sodomy against Christopher Bryson, six count of sodomy, and one charge of assault being dropped as part of a plea bargain. He would also receive a further term of seven years pertaining to one count of felonious restraint against Bryson on this date. He initially pled guilty, pled not guilty to the remaining five murder charges on September 13th. 1988, with the agreement of his two defense attorneys that he conduct a plea bargain with the prosecutors to avoid the death penalty in these remaining charges. In the plea bargain, he agreed to confess in graphic details to whom he had killed with indignities he had subjected each victim and how he killed each and what he had done with their bodies. There, these confessions were given to prosecutors between December 13th and 15th, 1988, and the prosecution agreed to seek the death penalty at a formal hearing scheduled for 9 a.m. on December 19th. Oh. December 19th, 1988, he formally waived his rights to be tried for any outstanding murder charges upon the understanding he was to be convicted of the one further count of first-degree murder, that of Robert Shelton. And four counts of second degree murder. What happened? That's you're trying not to laugh. What is was it? He's trying to put the flattened box over his head and he was super wobbly. He couldn't get it. That's fantastic. Um so four counts of second degree murder. He formally pled guilty to each of these charges before Judge Robert Myers in the Jackson County Circuit Court. Members of the public were prohibited from attending his hearing with only fam family members of the victims. News reporters permitted access to the proceedings. In response to these guilty pleas, Judge Myers imposed five further concurrent life sentences with an additional condition barring any future prospect of parole and the sole case of first-degree murder to which he pleaded, pleaded, pleaded guilty. So, he was, yeah, incarcerated in Missouri State Penitentiary. Penitentiary. Penitentiary? Why can't I say it? Penitentiary. I'm fine. She's going to add more thoughts. Penitentiary. Penitentiary? There you go. <laughs> Enjoy that. You're like, I'm out of here. So, we're going to jump to, yeah, he's incarcerated there. So, he ended up having issues with his high blood pressure in his heart. And in uh, 2 p.m. on October 8th, 1992, he complained to staff of heart pains and was taken from his cell to the infirmary. Um, they said his heart was unstable and they called an ambulance. He was taken to the hospital in Columbia, Missouri, where he was pronounced dead from a heart attack at 3.55 p.m. Good. He was 43 years old. Hello, Babylonians. I know a lot of you have been with us for a long time, even from the beginning, and we cannot say thank you enough. And I know a lot of you have been asking a lot lately, how do you make your own podcast? Well, it's simple. I use Anchor, anchor.fm, which is the website, or there is an app, or you can go on your computer, whatever you want to do. It's the easiest way. 
Um, it is run through Spotify, so that is one of the first uh, platforms that you'll be able to distribute your podcast out onto, and there's lots of different, it'll stream to at least, I think, 10 different platforms, or more. Um, I'm going to give you a quick rundown about how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter where your setup is like, you can start creating today, today, and tell me what your podcast name is, because you know I'm going to listen. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify with a single tap. Anchor is also the place you can publish video podcasts to Spotify. I know a lot of you have been asking for video. Don't worry. I'm working on it. With Anchor, creators can earn money. Yes, yes, you heard that right. In a variety of ways, including ads like this one and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. That's what sold me even though it didn't have to sell me because it's free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy listening. So, in response, um, at the, the judge at his trial, Alvin Randall was informed of Brudella's death. In response, Randall sarcastically remarked, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> Wow. So there's, yeah, there's a few more things in here, but, um, yeah. So his yeah his victims, they were aged 19, 23, 20, 25, 21, and 20. So 19 to 25 were his things. Um, there was a film called Verdella written by William Taft, who was co-directed by Paul South and it stars Seth Korea, Korea. Korea. And there was a 2004 documentary, Bizarre Bizarre, um, that talks about this case a little bit. Wow. So yeah, that is the wild Fuck. fucking story of... Oh, sorry! Yeah, sorry, I didn't know and I did it too. Alright, so I'm going to jump in on the chainsaw thing, okay? Everybody, rabbit hole, quick news. <laughs> Why were chainsaws invented? Hey, listen to the response, guys. Childbirth can be a difficult process. What? What does that have to do with chainsaws? Hang on. I'm getting there. And in modern times, it is much, much safer than it used to be. But many years ago, the cesarean section wasn't commonly used because it would have been too dangerous, mostly because anesthetic hadn't yet been invented and it is a major operation. So yep. when babies get stuck due to breach or being too large, like my daughter, she was 11 pounds, 8 ounces. Um, <laughs> surgeons, yeah, sir, the chainsaw wasn't used. Um, <laughs> surgeons had to find an alternative way to create more space for its head to fit through. Parts of bone and cartilage would be removed from the pelvis in a procedure called a, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to say this, Nicole. <laughs> symphysiotomy symphysiotomy okay this was originally performed by hand using a small knife which took a long time and was very painful so to make it easier here we go guys two doctors invented an early version of the chainsaw in 1780 to make the process quicker and easier it was powered by a hand crank and had teeth on a chain that moved around the edges. It's smaller and less scary than a modern-day chainsaw. 
The success of the invention meant the chainsaw was soon used for other operations involving bone cutting, such as amputations. Arlo, stop. In theater. Yes. Um, then it was picked up by woodwork industry after it was discovered how quickly it could cut through hard objects. It evolved to become larger and more powerful. Stop. More like the modern chainsaw Come here. today. That word, the symphysiotomies, are no longer performed in modern surgery, but are occasionally still used in third-world countries when an operating room for a cesarean section is, an, uh, is unavailable. If you thought the story behind this invention was disturbing, apparently cornflakes were actually created to stop morning masturbation. Oh, cornflakes? <laughs> morning <laughs> masturbation? All right, I'm going to um, write that down. Yeah. Cornflakes. All right, so there you have it. All right. So yeah, she texted me one night and she's just like, uh, you need to look up why chainsaws were originally, um, what they were originally used for. Cause I honestly did not know. <laughs> All right. Now we got to do our shot or, uh, Hey, uh, like comment, post, <laughs> review, <laughs> rate and review. Okay. Yeah. If you're podcast listeners, please go rate and review. That helps our numbers go up. That helps us get put on to listen lists if that makes sense or if you don't have um if you don't want to if you're not an apple user you can go on podchaser.com you can rate and review us there um interact with us on facebook and instagram it's just bloody bubbles podcast if you want to follow us on twitter we just hit 900 followers today um uh at bloody babbles if you want to send us a gmail bloody babbles podcast at gmail.com check out our Intro music, fantasy, and world music by the Fighters on YouTube. That's who does our intro sound. Um, this for this today's episode, it's it'll be the creepy doll music because you know that suits our personalities. Um, if you're feeling so inclined, check out. Um, you can donate. To Arlo, please stop. I'm almost done. Can't donate there, but <laughs> donate so I can get some meds to help me chill out so I can handle my child. Antipsychosis drug. Antipsychotic drug. Um, you can uh, donate to us on Anchor or uh, Patreon.com slash. Go we'll see if Uncle's here. Uncle. <laughs> I almost said Uncle. Patreon.com slash Bloody Bibles Podcast. We are going to be putting a. I said we we're going to have a Patreon episode out this week, but life has gotten away from us. No, but, you know, it's coming. It's coming. Yep. I got good. a list. We do. So. Check it twice. Until <laughs> next time, everybody. Happy Friday the 13th on top of this. And you're welcome for this bonus episode. Hello. Okay, until next time, Babylon! When was the last time you watched a Disney movie? No. When did you really watch one of their early movies? My name is Jen. I started re-watching every one of the Disney animated feature films recently, and watching them with a modern eye made me say, Oof! Right in the childhood! Join me every Monday to learn the history behind each of these movies. And then, after I talk about the history and trivia for that movie, I'll summarize and react to my experience watching it as a modern feminist. Every week, you'll learn something, you'll laugh a little, and you'll realize that your Disney-steep childhood was rife with hidden sexism, racism, classism, ableism, and more. It really will make you say, oof, right in the childhood. What's good, people? This your boy, Big Bruh. I'm the host of Live with Big Bruh, a podcast where I keep it raw, uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. Always keeping it 100 and giving you guys my opinion on topics that you need to go check out. Live with Big Bruh is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
and iHeartRadio or wherever else you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Make sure you go subscribe, rate, and share it. And while you're at it, tell your friends to tell their friends to do the same thing. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Live with Big Bruh. And remember, they can hold you, but they can't stop you. Big Bruh out.